fascinating people, insightful stories, an hour of enlightenment. This is Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. From obsessively taking selfies to tweaking those selfies into what you look like with all these filters and apps and Photoshop, it seems that technology has played a role in muddying the waters of what's acceptable, beautiful, and desirable these days, not to mention society's never-ending struggle with defining what's too fat, what's too thin, what's perfect, what's problematic. That's a topic that everyone has an opinion about. Well, even before anything was available for folks to read, our next guest's novel was causing quite a stir online as she challenged readers to think about their views of weight and body image. Kristen Higgins, thank you so much for being here today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's a pleasure. Well, Kristen is the New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and Publishers Weekly bestselling author of 18 novels. She's here today to talk with us about good luck with that. This would be the 19th novel, maybe, that's going to be bestselling, I'm guessing. Let's put out that to the universe, you know? It's been... Tra- <laughs> Her books have been translated into more than two dozen languages and have sold millions of copies all around the world. Her books have received dozens of awards and accolades, including starred reviews from Kirkus, the New York Journal of Books, Publishers Weekly, Library Journal, and Booklist. She's a six-time nominee for the Kirkus Prize for Best Work of Fiction. Seems like you're uh, you're up there with, uh, what's her name, Erica Kane, uh, you know, in uh, the soap world. <laughs> Although that was 17 nominations, I think, that she got for that character. And her books regularly appear on the list for best-selling novels of the year and best novels of the year and many prestigious journals and review sites. She's very well regarded. We really appreciate her being here. The website is kristenhiggins.com, K-R-I-S-T-A-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-S. Well, there's probably not a person listening right now who can't think of someone in their circle of family and friends who has body issues that they're struggling with that they talk about. And, you know, they tell writers to write what you know. So is this an issue that hits home for you? And and, and was that the genesis for the novel, Kristen? Yes, absolutely. Um, I am one of those women who has never been that conventional size. And I remember the first time that I was made aware of that, I was four years old. And my mom had entered me into this little rinky-dink beauty pageant. And there were about a dozen girls. And we did our little twirls on stage. And we're standing there in our little bathing suits. And the judge, who was a grown man, walked up and down the line. And he pointed at me. And he said, you're out. You're too chubby. So I was fat-shamed at the age of four. and, um, And I remember feeling so... Uh, horrified, you know, that, that I didn't know I was too chubby. And, and I remember my mom lifting me off the stage and she was furious. And I, and I felt like I, I didn't know. And from then on, you know, I, I can remember I was a, I was a, an overweight kid, um, shopped in the husky section of the, of that's what they called it back then, the husky size. I was just going to um, say, I remember, I think it was Penny's who had a, yeah. a, a line of jeans that even they said husky <laughs> on the label. And I just, I, yeah. re- I remember kids ripping that label off. <laughs> yeah, right. And, you know, so I was one of those kids um, teased and bullied by classmates and, and uh, my brother and uh, some family members, you know, just in that sort of benign but lasting way. Do you really need that cookie, you know? Um, should you have seconds? 
So well into my 20s, I always struggled to feel comfortable in my own skin. Um, And I always looked at a new opportunity in my life as a chance to lose weight, whether it was, you know, oh, I'm in the school play, I I better lose weight, or I'm going off to college, I better lose weight, Um, I'm on summer break, now I can lose weight. And it was just this constant refrain that I think so many women have of being perpetually dissatisfied with their shapes. So I, I wanted to write a book that really dug in and explored that, the link between self-esteem and body image, the endless messages we get that we don't look right, whether it's you know from plastic surgeons or weight loss clinics um, or just seeing beautiful people on magazines and in the movies and all that kind of thing. And I really wanted to write honestly. I didn't want to write about women who had no problem being overweight or or um, were just super beautiful. I wanted to really discuss this issue. And not everyone in the book has issues with their size, um, but the three main characters definitely do. Talk about the dialogue that you started online that, that showed just how far we still have to go when, when discussing weight and body image issues. I mean, was your intent, what was your intent in sparking this conversation online, Kristen? I felt that um, it was time to really address this issue in, in women's fiction and um, to, to be honest about it and not portray women as either stunning beauties or women who didn't think about their bodies. So um, in deciding to write a character um, like Emerson, so one of the three friends is Emerson, and she is what's medically called super morbidly obese, which is the cruelest term I've ever heard. Um, she, She dies in the first chapter of complications related to obesity, and she weighs well over 600 pounds, and, you know, her body is just not meant to carry that much weight and she's been housebound, and um, her two friends who live several states away have been unaware of how how far gone she's become health-wise. And so she dies. And one of the things that happened was, that was really unexpected to me, was um, this outrage that I had written uh, an obese character who died, and that that was viewed as... Um, as fat shaming. And that was just from the premise of the book. At this point, no one had read the book. Right. So, um, so my publisher released like 300 copies to the public early to get reader feedback. And that's when things really got exciting and wonderful to me because people who read the book said, this is like you're living in my head. And I, I can't believe I'm I'm not, I'm the only one, I always thought I was the only one who felt this way. And I've done all these things and, and you know, because I've lived this, you know, I, I have ranged in weight over like a 75 pound uh, spectrum and I've been too thin and I've been overweight and I've been in between and um, had all of the crappy eating habits that the character demonstrates in the book Um and all of the negative self-talk, too. And um, and I also have had those moments um, where I've said, enough, enough of this. You know, there's more important things in life than worrying about 
buying a bigger size in jeans, you know? Well, as you um, said, your your publisher, Kristen Berkeley, did something that they've actually never done before, and they actually sent you out on the road for a, yeah. dis- for a discussion tour this past spring to talk about weight and body image issues all around the country. Um, whose yes. idea was that, and what were your goals, and what were you hoping to accomplish along the way? Well, I think the goals were to... Um, to to get the book into readers' hands and to have people read the book and judge it rather than <clears throat> judge it on, on the idea that people were perpetuating. And, you know, I get the outrage and the anger because talking about weight is hard and it's very emotional and people bring a lot of baggage to the table because this is such a personal issue that affects us all. So, you know, I understand that people think like, oh, no, you can't do that. And yet there are people in the world who are like Emerson and who don't win that battle of self-acceptance and kindness. And I think their stories deserve to be told. You know, I think that ignoring them is kind of the opposite of compassion. And I, I got an email this morning from a woman who said, you know, I always did judge people of that size very harshly and thought like, oh, they're lazy and, and you know, slothful. And, and boy, did you open my eyes to some of the issues that they might be dealing with. And I'll never look that way again at a person of size. So that kind of reaction has been wonderful. And some readers have said, like, this really changed itself. And I'm throwing away all my spanks. <laughs> and, you know, um, I I just made the decision. I'm I'm not going to beat myself up anymore. So that's been absolutely thrilling to me. Well, talk about some of the stories that people shared that came out of your tour, Kristen. Were there consistent themes that popped up? And what surprised you the most that you weren't expecting to hear and, and actually learned along the way? One of the things I, I learned a lot about was... Um, the nature of food addiction and how it's just as powerful as drug addiction or um, nicotine addiction and how the chemistry of your brain changes as you eat and how you can become addicted to the, those chemistry changes. So I think I, I definitely learned a lot more about um, the science of weight and fat and why your body loves it and tries to keep it. Um, and what what has really been so affirming is that I'm not alone, too, that I'm a 53-year-old mother of two who still finds fault with herself and, and, you know, still spends too much time thinking about this. I think writing the book for me was really cathartic, but it was also... Um, almost like a a lesson for myself, too, that there are many more important things in life that deserve my time and energy, not losing 10 pounds. Well, Kristen, were there specific people that you you met along the way that just really stuck out in your mind? Yes. um, There have been um, a couple of of women who have um, talked about their struggles with weight, um, whether it's on the patient side or the overeating side. One woman in particular said uh, she was you know, quite heavy, and she said, I always felt that being healthy meant I losing weight. It never occurred to me that it was like mental health and healthy friendships and healthy relationships, and and that's where I want to start. And I was so thrilled because that's 
absolutely the message of the book. You know, health comes in every shape and size, and you have to start with treating yourself well. It's not about losing weight. It's about taking care of yourself. Talk about where the story takes place in the past and the present. You know, it's, it seems like it's sure. uh, the Northeast there. Uh, yes, it's uh, in upstate New York, um, the camp. And these girls meet as 17-year-olds. Uh, Emerson and Georgia are regulars there. Emerson loves going to camp. Georgia is forced to go to camp. And then um, on the last year, Marley begs her parents to send her. And they have a wonderful time. And they become really close friends. And as the book opens, it's their last day of camp. And they're off on an illegal swim in the lake. And they're just having the best time. They're not thinking about food or how much weight they've lost or or anything like that. They're just being themselves. And it's this magical, perfect moment in their lives where they're just, just happy, you know, being with friends, being under the blue sky. And yet they also realize, you know, this is the last day and this really perfect moment isn't going to last. And they go um, back to shore. They get busted by their counselor. And they make this list, as teenage girls often do, of the things they'll do as adults when they're thin. They're at weight loss camp. They're thinking about weight all the time. And they say, you know, things we'll do when we're skinny. And this list becomes the structure of the book um, because when Emerson dies, she gives it to them. She saved it all these years. And she makes them promise to do the things on the list. And some of them are goofy, you know, like tuck in a shirt. But that's one of those thin, privileged things that if you're not thin, you think, like, can I pull that off? And you know what? If you don't worry about that, you, you've you never had those issues, God bless you. And I want everyone to be more like you. But I think a lot of us do have these things like, when I'm thin, then I'll talk to that cute boy. Or when I'm thin, I'll wear that dress. Um, so, so after Emerson's death, Georgia and Marley go through the list and check these things off. And some of the reactions from readers I've gotten is I've had those lists. I still make those lists and, and I'm, I'm going to just do the things on the list because I'm tired of waiting. Well, Kristen, tell us a little bit about the, the characters here, because they come from different family backgrounds, Emerson, Georgia, and Marley. Marley is the probably the um, big, funny Italian family. She's got a little brother and an older sister and these two wonderful parents who are very involved in her life. And they celebrate everything with food, like my own family, um, like so many families I know. And she has this um, secret grief that she's been unable to express. When she was four, her twin sister died. And she's always felt the burden to be kind of extra, extra happy, extra helpful, extra loving, great daughter, great sister, great friend, because she's the twin who lived. So she feels this obligation to constantly put forth this hap, hap, happy face, you know, and not acknowledge that she has this grief and this feeling of loss that she's never really been able to talk about. Um, She's overweight. I leave it to the reader's imagination to picture her, but she is a plus-size woman who, you know, needs plus-size clothes, but she's also super healthy, 
she's a chef, she eats well, she exercises, she, she loves Zumba and running and all that stuff. And she's the best friend of Georgia. Now, they've all been friends, but Georgia and Marley are especially friends. Georgia had the completely opposite upbringing. She was uh, much younger than her brother, so she felt sort of like the surprise baby and not a happy surprise in this case. She is the daughter of a very thin, very wealthy, beautiful woman who judges Georgia only by her size. Georgia is brilliant. She's accomplished. She plays the violin. She speaks Japanese. She goes to Princeton and Yale. And yet her mother looks at her and says, well, you've gained more weight, haven't you? <laughs> and right, you know, and, and that's the constant refrain of, you know, how you look is your value. That's her mother's message to her. And it's when you grow up in a family like that, I think it's a really hard message, even when intellectually you know, just 20 more pounds to go or um, you have to you have to take care of yourself. You have to get thin. It's not really about taking care of yourself in her mother's eyes. It's just about being a certain size. And as the book unfolds, you see that, that her mother has, has some food issues as well. And the third character is Emerson, who who is um, a tragic character. You know, she dies in the first chapter, as we've said. She grew up with her mom, who suffered from depression. Um, she had some traumas in her life early on. Uh, her dad dies unexpectedly. And she feels very responsible for her mother's happiness. And she's a kid who's overweight from the get-go and gets bigger and bigger and bigger goes on. Um, and she's, you know, she's this lovely, intelligent, insightful woman, but she is also addicted to food. And like any kind of addiction, whether it's opioids or, or cigarettes or anorexia, it's, it's an addiction and it's not pretty. She's aware that she has this problem. She, she's very knowledgeable about her situation. And yet, like most addicts, she is helpless powerless in the face of that addiction. Well, Les, we think that uh, this book is all uh, dreary. It's full of lots of <laughs> funny, funny stories and funny adventures. And I love uh, the time where Georgia meets the chef, the hot chef, and uh, she's 27. She's still a virgin. And uh, he becomes her boyfriend. And even though she really, really, really wants to have sex with him, she's really, really trying not to have sex with him. And just <laughs> right. the way you write it is so funny. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but funny in that way of like, God, anybody can relate to that where you just you feel like that every little imperfection when you take your clothes off for that first time with that person that you really want to have sex with, and they're going to focus on that. And of course, they never will. But that's the thing yeah. that you focus on. Right. All of, you know, Raphael thinks Georgia is beautiful and desirable and lovely because she is. She's the one who has to learn that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I do think there's a lot of humor in the books. And that's a trademark of all my writing that you I, I say, you know, you'll laugh, you'll cry and you'll laugh again. Um, because I think that those emotions are two sides of the same coin. You know, you you laugh at someone when you relate to them and empathize with them, and you cry with them. Um, one of the funniest scenes in the book for me was the high school talent show where um, Georgia's nephew uh, says, who doesn't like magic? And he goes on, on stage to be judged by his peers doing magic show. And I thought that was uh, a really fun scene to write. 
Well, our guest today is Kristen Higgins. Her new novel, uh, and we sh- we're sure it's going to be a best-selling one. She's had 18 others. Good luck with that. The website is kristenhiggins.com. Thank you so much for being here today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. Thank you, Charlie. It was a pleasure.